One commentator described this man's plight and ours as well when we go through various types of suffering over a prolonged period of time in terms of the long lingering need which reaches back across many years and may cast a malignant shadow over the entire landscape of our past. Some of you are dealing with situations like that. The plight that you're facing now has been going on for a long time and it casts a malignant shadow over the entire landscape of your past. And we come to the place where it's it's not quite so obvious. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to be healed? Do I really want to get better? Do I really want to find deliverance? Am I really tired enough? Am I sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because quiet is kept. Cure has its implications. Because what happens is that when the need, when the problem is so long-standing, what has happened is that we have built an entire way of life around our infirmity, around our weakness, around our pain, around our suffering. We have built an industry around our plight. You hear what I'm saying? So Jesus' question here needs to be faced by anybody who would be delivered, anybody who would be healed, anybody who would experience change in their lives. Are we ready for the implications of healing? Are we ready for the implications of change? Are we ready for the challenges and the demands that change will place upon us? Because it may call upon us to repent. That means change our mind. It may call upon us to do some things differently. It may call upon us to, to, to commit our lives to Christ to, to a degree that we are not yet ready to do. We've seen it in ministry around here over the years because we've seen, man, we've had hundreds probably, at least scores of people who've come through here on the street. This is one of those places along the way. They, you know, in Van Nuys, they have church on the way. This should be church on the way in Inglewood because we're on the way to somewhere. And somebody's trying to get from down here to Servant Spoon to down here to the corner. And they're trying to get from Ralph's up here. And they all walk by here and they come back in the back. We finally threw those crack pipes away that were sitting on the fence for like two weeks. I tried to be nice. I said, you know, I don't want the preacher didn't want you. I didn't want to just bust up your crack pipe. This is the first time I saw it there. Me and Jerry and Cher, we looked at that. I actually, I was going to leave it two days, and then I, they would look up. We, I got to get rid of it. You know. but, but, and people come, and they, through the years, they, they come in the church, and they come in, and, they, they want, and people want food, and, they want, and, they, and people come in, and they're, they're tired, and they're hungry. They have no place to go. We've given people money for motels. We've given people money for food. We've given, we've given people referrals to, to places they could go and get help. And they come in, and, and they, oh, I'm just in such a need. And they'll tell me, Pastor, I'm tired. And I remember in the early years of my ministry, I would spend sometimes hours just, you know, just letting people vent and talk. And I, we still do to, to an appreciable extent as necessary. But the, there was this problem. I, I, I understood, I become to understand something about a lot of people who say they want help. And that was, I know that in the moment they were tired because they were broke and hungry and because they, they, they were feeling very uncomfortable in that moment. Uh, there, but there's, but I, and I love, we love and we care for the poor and the homeless, but there's some people that they, did, they, they, they really didn't want a place to live. 
because they didn't want anybody to tell them that they couldn't do what they're doing. And they didn't want anybody to say that you can't just come in and out of here any kind of way, anytime you want. They didn't want any boundaries and constraints. In the, they weren't ready to be healed. In the moment, they thought they were. There are people that have come down to this altar and received Jesus Christ, at least ostensibly, as their Lord and Savior. There are people that go to many churches all over the place, and they, they, and, they, and they respond to altar calls, and they go down, and they weep, and they cry, and they get prayed for, and hands laid on. But they walk out, and they, and, and they, get, they get bewildered, and they walk back into their old lives because they're not ready to be healed. Because, you see, healing will demand something from us. Healing will will call for something deeper. It will call us to a better life, to a higher plane of existence, to a more, a greater and a deeper responsibility. And you see, what else happens is that when we get healed, we lose our excuses. You see, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And what does the guy say? Well, yeah, but every time the water gets trouble, they all run down there in front of me. And that's a factual, that's a, tr- I'm, and I'm sure that was true. But I wonder if after, you know, cause he says, and, and in the text he says, I don't have nobody. That, and I've heard, that's a bit, you know, we, we, and I know he meant well, and I'm not trying to hate on the brother, but, but I, 38 years, after 38 years, you're going to figure something out. After 38 years, you're just going to be there. Because I don't have, that's, man, we, we do that kind of, oh, I got this, you got this glaring problem in your life, something that you need to stand up and take responsibility for, something that you need to allow God to work in your life. I ain't got nobody to help me. Ain't nobody will help me. So, so, it's nice to have folks to help you. There's some things that you really, you know, I can get by with a little help from my friends or whatever, right? But sometimes you just got to take responsibility for your own self and your own situation. And it's not about you don't have anybody to help you. He says, they run down there in front of the water, they get in before me. People, people can, we can, we can get, we can get, we can get comfortable in our sickness because it gives us an excuse. We can get a lot of attention in our sickness, in our infirmity, in our neediness. I had a friend, or at least an acquaintance, and I, I don't like to talk to this person anymore because all they talk about is their sicknesses. I would see this guy. And he would talk about his sickness, his surgeries, the ones he's had, how bad they've gone, the ones he's going to have, the ones he needs, the medication he takes, and his pains and, and, and afflictions in that present day. He can go on for 45 minutes talking about that. I guess it's supposed to make me feel sorry for him. But, you know, I, don't, I have a problem when, I, when you're supposed to be, uh, we're in a mutual conversation, and you don't have the decency to say, how are you doing, Charles? Because I may not have sicknesses and I may not be on 17 medications, but I got my trials and tribulations and my afflictions too. Maybe I might need a little prayer, a little, a little counsel, a little comfort. But, but see, we can land. I, I'm sick. I'm depressed. I, I've been through something. All of God's children been through something. All of us got affliction in our life. But, you know, but we, but we get healed. We lose those excuses, you know. Because rather than waiting on somebody to do certain things for us, then we, became, we become enabled to do something for somebody else. Rather than wait for somebody to take pity on us, we can have pity on somebody else and serve somebody else's need. Because that's what happens when you get healed. When your life gets changed, then you are empowered to bless somebody else rather than always be the one sitting there, bless me, bless me, help me, because I am impaired. 
My friend, let me tell you something. The, the word of the Lord is today that you don't have to be sick. You don't, and I don't mean that we don't go through physical illness, but you don't have to be impaired and you don't have to be oppressed by the devil. N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, do, we, do you really want to get better or are you now quite happy to eke out your days lounging around here with the feeble excuse that someone else always gets in first? Huh? Somebody else always gets the shot. Somebody else always gets in first. Somebody else always gets in better. They get a better deal. Woe is me. I'm always the last. I'm always at the end of the line. Listen, excuses, 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 excuses. I understand the difference between excuses and reasons. And I, like you, are human. And I struggle with the same proclivity towards rationalizing and and excusing my behavior and my situation and my plight and trying to find something. We're all the same. But you know what? Excuses don't get you healed. Excuses don't get you the victory. Excuses don't get you success in your marriage. Excuses don't get you success vocationally and financially. Excuses don't get you nothing but lost time. And they generate more excuses because you got to make excuses for the excuses that you made. They just keep you mired in your situation. And the answer is not... And to the excuses, Jesus would say, hey, you know, brother, I understand what you said, man. It's hard out here. You know, that's what we like. We get on and go, hey, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard out here. Yeah, bro, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Man, it's tough. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough. It's rough. Oh, man, he said it's rough. That's another one. <laughs> it's, and then the, the erudite, but it, it is quite difficult, actually. <laughs> and we all go around, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough. And you know that. Yeah. You're not telling me anything new. It's rough. Because for the people that that are living well, it's tough. For the people that are succeeding in the areas in life in in which you want to succeed, it's tough. It's hard. It's rough. They've gone through something. For the people who have succeeded financially, the people who have succeeded in their marriage, the people who have succeeded in their personal lives, the people who have succeeded educationally, they have suffered and gone through something to get through where to get to where they are. The difference is they learned that excuses wouldn't cut it. You didn't get through college making excuses. Because teachers are very used to excuses and have no tolerance for them. Well, you know, you, you know, you're a sophomore at university. You know, a dog ate my home, my dog ate my homework. Well, then you just walk to class, take it over again, pay four hundred dollars a unit, one more time. It doesn't play in the real world. It doesn't play in, in on the job market. You know, you go to work and it's like you got a good job and you go to work and you you know and you and you're late, you're half hour late every day for two months. Well, you know, this this trap this LA traffic. And then the boss will, well, all of us drive through LA traffic. You learn to adjust to LA traffic. Whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? Excuses don't cut it. But Jesus turns to him, Jesus says, Listen, you know what? I'm just gonna do something here. And Jesus turns to him, he says, Get up, take up your mat, and walk. And I don't know if this is implied. I might, I might be eisegeting into the text a little bit, but, but it's, it's as though Jesus is saying implicitly, later for all these excuses, later for all this, I know what's going on here, because Jesus is Jesus, and he knows all things. He, John says in another place that he didn't commit himself to people because he knew all things, and he knew what was in man. And he knows what's up with this guy. He knows a, a whiner when he sees one. He knows somebody that has allowed the situation to, to envelop them and to, to enmesh them. And he says, listen, 
I'm going to apply my power to this situation. He says, you take up your bed and walk. And so the man in that moment was healed. And the man took up his pallet, his bed, his mattress, and he walked. And the man didn't even know who it was was healing him yet. Like a lot of people in our world today who don't worship or acknowledge God, though the fact is that God is the one who is, is, is providing daily benefits and blessings of health and strength for them, and they don't acknowledge. He, he didn't know who it was. So he takes up his bed, and he walks on, and he goes on, and then basically, in the, as the story continues, the Jewish leaders, they confront the man because he's carrying his mattress on the Sabbath, and by this time, the Sabbath laws have been conflated to the degree that uh, there was all this minutia surrounding them and the, all this legalism. That's one of the big conflicts, and this, this, this story, chapter 5, is Jesus entering into the period of conflict with regard to the Jewish leaders in his ministry in John's gospel, and a lot of it... They want to catch Jesus on, you know, on technicalities regarding things like the Sabbath. And so they ask this guy who heals him, and he tells him, I don't know. I don't know. And then Jesus catches up with him a little later, and it says in verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, Brother McFall's preached this part of the message for me, so... I will just, <laughs> we, we were tag teaming, and, uh, no, but, but listen, there's, there's something in here, and then it leads to, some, uh, to something else, but obviously, if you go to chapter 9, there's a case of the man born blind, and, uh, and Jesus heals this man, but they said, you know, before they say, who sinned, I mean, this man or his, fa- or his parents, you know, because there was this tacit understanding. We see this going all the way back into the Old Testament. We see in Job's situation, when Job dealt with uh, affliction, the conventional wisdom of, 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 the, of the Israelites was that when you are good, God blesses you. When you're bad, he sends bad stuff. So if you have bad stuff going on in your life, you must, be, you must have messed up. And the whole purpose of the story of Job is to, to turn conventional wisdom on its ear so that we understand and know sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes God allows things into our life in mysterious ways that we don't understand, right? So in chapter 9, the man born blind, Jesus said, neither this man nor his father. It wasn't about somebody's sin. This is just one of those things. Sin has brought sickness and death into the human condition. And so it's not in this case that particularly that this man had sin and sickness in individual cases is not invariably linked to sin, but in some cases it may be the cause of it, right? Not necessarily. So we have to be careful judging people and assuming because people are going through something it's because of something they've, they've done wrong because some of the most, the most faithful and, 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 and diligent believers and saints that you would ever meet have gone through incredible struggle and sickness and hardship and lost their lives sometimes for the gospel. So, I mean, it's not, that, that's not the issue. But, but in this case, because Jesus says to him, stop, to him, to him, this man, stop sinning. There seems to be the inference that there's something in his past that has not been so wholesome. How, but... So then, because if I tell you to stop sinning, it must imply that you are or that you've been. And he says, stop sinning so that something worse doesn't come on you. And what's worse than being an invalid for 38 years? Well, there's death and there's the judgment to face God with unrepented sin and face a Christless eternity. 
So apparently there was something in this guy's background that caused Jesus to say this. Because Jesus doesn't usually say things like this. So I started to think about it. And I said, now what? I said, this guy's been sitting here by the pool. It's kind of like sitting on a dock of a bay, wasting time. Looks like nothing's going to change. Everything remains the same. I can't do with 10 people. Why did I get into that? (laughs) You know, but he's, so how did he sin? I mean, obviously the brother wasn't chasing the women. I don't think he was out robbing liquor stores. What was he doing? I began to reflect on it, think about it. And I wonder, just, just, just speculate with me for a moment. I wonder, might he have succumbed to the temptation to become bitter? Bitterness is sin. Might he have succumbed to the temptation to become envious of those who could get in the pool and maybe even if he didn't if they didn't get healed he thought they did or those who were strong and healthy those who weren't undergoing the same plight he was maybe he was resentful and maybe he was filled with anger because you notice his disposition as Jesus confronts him he's not a particularly pleasant fellow he doesn't he's not very ebullient in his in his in his in his affect he's pretty pretty deadpan and he just answers what Jesus says and he pretty pretty a whiny little mousy guy who's you know nobody helps me get into the water <laughs> but but i wonder could he have, have 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 succumbed to the temptation to become cynical and and envious and angry and bitter because of his plight. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and sick hearts are prone to sin. When our hearts become sickened, we are, we're subject to, to succumb to certain temptations in our lives. The devil uses disappointment and hurt to, to lead us into despair and to sin and to bitterness and to resentfulness and to cynicism and to doubt and unbelief. I wonder... So we have to be careful that we don't allow our plight to bring us to a place of becoming bitter, jealous, cynical, angry. That's why when you're going through something, you want to draw close to Jesus. When you're going through something, when you are afflicted, when you are going through pain and suffering and sickness, and when you're going through, through trial and temptation and, and tribulation in your life, you want to get close to God. You want to, you want to push in, press in to the presence of God. Now, you don't get me started because you know I'm going to say what I always say. Because people say, you know, they say, oh, you know what? I know I should be a church pastor, but I'm going through something. I'm, you know, just think about the logic of that. I, I, I'm going to use, I use the same illustration I think last week or the week before. It's like, sorry, Doc, I know I've, I ain't been in it, but I'm just, I've, been, I've been sick. I had this cancer, and I didn't, couldn't get into the office. Sorry, hospital, I couldn't make it there. You know, it's just this heart attack thing, and I just couldn't get to the hospital. Sorry, I, I know I need to check in. You, what you need when you're going through stuff, what you need more than anything else, you need God, you need God's people, you need love, you need, you need comfort, you need encouragement. Because if not, your trials and your tribulations and your pain and your suffering can make you bitter, angry, jealous, cynical. And then there's one final thing we see in this story. We're about ready to take this home. 
Notice that the man doesn't know who he's talking to when he's approached by Jesus. This man has no faith to speak of because he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus, he didn't approach Jesus. When Jesus approached him, he didn't know who Jesus was. He has no faith at all. He's just there existing amongst the huddled masses of sick folks, waiting, watching, looking for a break, maybe a handout. He's, as I said a moment ago, he's not a man of particular, particularly pleasant disposition. Jesus finds him. Jesus tells him to pick up his mattress and walk. And healing happens not when or after he does that as if it was a thing of faith. Well, Jesus said, take your So here, I had faith and I did it and he was healed as he went. No. Jesus told him to pick up his, his bed and walk and he was healed before that. He was healed when Jesus decided to heal him. Now stay with me. He didn't have the chance to obey in order to affect his healing. His healing was accomplished, so now you can do it. Pick it up and walk. He didn't have the opportunity. He wasn't called upon, nor did he have the, the, the disposition to step out in faith. Jesus approaches him. Jesus hears his excuse. Jesus overrides his excuse and overlooks his excuse and ignores it and tells him, take up your bed and walk. And then it says he was healed and he takes up his bed. It says, at one, look the text, when Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk, at once the man was healed, was cured, then he picked up his mat and walked. You see? Then he picked it up. So I want to leave you with this, and this is a kind of paradox. You've got to be a little bit broad and open-minded to understand this because, you know, if, you, if you're prone to tangential uh, one-way thinking, one side of, of the issue, you won't get this and it won't make sense to you or you'll miss what, what's here. But, but this will be a source of encouragement for us all if we, if we understand it in, in the broader context of biblical teaching. I, I know that there are things that we do to express our faith and obedience to God. I know all about faith. I know, I know what it means to step out on faith. I know what it means to trust and obey. I know what it means to, uh, that I know that, what it means to say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I know what it means to, to do because you, in, in, the, in the spirit of Abraham, Abraham believed God. God said go and he said okay, he went. I understand that and that and, and you know you know what I'm saying you know what I mean are you with me I, I most things in our lives do work out better when we live and act in cooperation with God because that's what faith is most things in our lives work out better when we are in this collaborative relationship with God where we where we where we obey as and we trust and we we move as he calls us and we, we respond to him willingly and readily uh, that's what faith is but I'm glad of this one contingency because things are like that, but things are also another way because things in life aren't all just one way. Jesus' ability to act in my life is not necessarily limited by me. I'll just let you think about that for a minute. I'm glad about that. Because sometimes I've had the faith to step out and to act and to do the right thing, and sometimes I have not. And some of you would say, well, that just must totally disqualify you and write you off the, you would just write, write you out the script. <laughs> While Jesus will respect my free will, 
He reserves the right to act on my behalf when my knowledge is deficient, when my faith is faltering, and when I don't have a clue as to what's going on and maybe none of you've never been there but this preacher let me tell you something there have been times in my life when I didn't quite know what was going on and it was the sovereign work of Jesus working on my behalf behind the scenes apart from me that got me through Jesus is not limited by you and there's somebody in the house today I'm telling you God's getting ready to do something in your life and he's going to do it not because of you but in spite of you Because let me, let me let's listen. He was he was healing you long before you knew what he was doing. He was delivering you before you realized what was going on in your life. If, he, while you were still steeped in self pity and, and, and excuses, while you were ste- when you still thought that Oprah and Doctor Phil had the answer, Jesus was working on your behalf and bringing you to see that Jesus alone is the answer. Oh, when you were standing there in Barnes and Noble, thought nobody was looking, and you were looking, flipping through Deepak Chopra's book, trying to find the deep mysteries of life. When you were in the New Age section looking for the answer, Jesus was there all the time, standing behind the scenes and saying he was going to do what he was going to do on your behalf because he had decided to do that. And what Jesus was doing amidst all this pop religion, all this garbage that we were trafficking and all these, all these faulty ideas and all the little cliches and one-liners that even Christians throw around. You know, sometimes American contemporary Christianity is, is, is rife with, with cliche and, and all these little aphorisms. We love to get a hold of cute little sayings that sometimes don't mean a thing because they, they're shallow and they're, they're simplistic and they're one-sided and they don't take into account the whole counsel of biblical truth. But while we were trafficking and that's trying to find, trying to find the, the, the one little saying that might get us through today, Jesus was working in the background in our lives to affect real and lasting healing and to bring us into a deep and a complete and a thorough knowledge of who he was. Romans 5 says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ain't that good news, somebody? Romans 8 says that we don't know how to pray as we should. I know that we got a lot of prayer warriors in the house. How many prayer warriors? You know, that's a good old Pentecostal prayer warrior. They don't have those in the Episcopal Church or the or the Methodist Church. That's they have that. That's Pentecostal care. I'm with prayer warriors. People say, "What does that mean?" Well, we means we do war on our knees. You know, and I know you, but you know what? Paul says, "Guess what? Y'all think you, you know, because you know sometimes we get we get uh, we memorize some good prayers, and we learn how to. We listen to the people at our church. We was growing up, and they knew how to say, "Ha!" Just at the right time. And I said, God, we thank you. We thank you. Oh, God. We, you. I was coming, they said, hallelujah. You have to go up on Lou. Hallelujah. And, you know, and, we, and we got done, and we, and we just called down fire from heaven. And that's wonderful because God, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. But Paul says, we don't always know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. So let me wrap this up. So, see, I, some people are on my payroll. <laughs> this is the third sign in John's gospel. And what does a sign do? It points to something, right? And so this third sign points to Jesus as the one who loves folks like you and me and this fellow by the pool of Bethesda to the extent that he doesn't facilitate wholeness and healing in our lives necessarily because of us, but often in spite of us.
more than we care to acknowledge, right? He is the one who initiates our relationship with him. He's the one that approaches us. He's the one that has called us. He is the one who Hebrews describes as the author and the perfecter of our faith. He, is the, he's, 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 he, he created from the beginning to the end. It's all about Jesus. He loves us so much that he'll lead us beyond the superstitious to the supernatural, and there's a profound difference. He loves us so much that he'll lead us beyond the fallacious to the factual. He'll lead us beyond the shallow, superficial world of pop religion, culturalism, nationalism, or any other ism that we embrace as Christians to try to, to, try to hold on to, to try to find some promise. And he leads us to the superb depths of the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. He, he loves us so much that he'll, he enables us by the power of God to cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. And bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ in the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our advocate. He is our God. He's our King. He has sent his Holy Spirit into our lives to be our, our comforter, our teacher, our guide. And as I close this morning, I just want to ask you this question. You know what? We all, there's a sense in which we're all lounging around the pool of Bethesda. Because I think there's every single one of us in this room today has some, some pocket in their life, some place, some point in their existence where they need the healing power of God. They need the touch of God in their lives. And here's the question. I'll ask you like Jesus asked this man. Do you want to, to get well? Are you willing to let go of the excuses? Are you willing to, to, to reject the bitterness and the jealousy and the envy? And Jesus has already acted on your behalf, but you've got to pick up your mat and walk. You've already been saved. You've already been healed. You've already been set through, and I know that set free. And I know that some of us are going through some problems in the moment that that are, that, that seem intractable and that seem insurmountable. And the mercy of God and the grace of God is with you, but you just keep on looking at Jesus, and you just keep on trusting, and you just keep on believing because God has better things in store for you. And he and no matter what you go through, never forget that He loves you, that He cares about you, that He died for you. Pick up your mat and walk. There's some of us particularly that really need to get, there's just some of us, not all of us maybe, but some of us really need to let go of the excuses and to get, to pick up our mat and get to moving. Uh, we need to get out the cheap seats up in the top of the arena, and get down on courtside where the action is. We need to get in the game. We need to get in the things of the Lord and, and not, don't just look from a distance. Are you willing, are you ready to move beyond, again, popular religion, you know, cultural Christianity? You know, this large percentage of people in the United States are, are Christians, right? Where are they when we need them? You know, it's, it's a culture. It's, for a lot of people, it's just a thing. But we got to move beyond, beyond the, the, that and the cliches and the and religious subculture to experience a real and personal relationship with the, with the living God through Jesus Christ, his son. I'm almost done. But understand this. Every ounce of what everybody in the world is looking for in every expression of false religion, paganism, new age, new thought, science of mind, whatever it is, every ounce of what we seek is found in one place, and that's Jesus and Jesus alone. So now that you've found him, there's a question. Or let me put it, I, I, I misphrased that. Now that he has found you, why are you still looking for him? Are you ready to heed the master's instructions? Take a, take, how many ready to take up your bed and walk? All right, then pick it up, get to stepping. Let go of the excuses, let go of the blame, and let's move forward.